Hello and welcome to today's EG podcast with me, Sarah Jackman. Following Michael Gove's 14th of February announcement on building safety and remediation work for unsafe cladding, I'm taking a look at the latest developments and asking what's next for affected developers and leaseholders. To discuss the issues with me, I'm joined by Andrew Parker, construction partner at Forsters, and Ryan Didcott, senior associate in the property litigation team at Forsters. Both advise on issues regarding cladding remediation. Ryan, Andrew, thank you both for joining me today. We had a big announcement yesterday. Michael Gove announced a number of amendments to the Building Safety Bill, which is currently working its way through Parliament. Those changes, if implemented, could see developers and manufacturers block from the market should they fail to contribute to the cost of building repairs. What's your reaction to the raft of measures announced? And perhaps you could give us a a little bit of um, detail just just in terms of your sense of of what they will mean for, for both leaseholders and developers. Thanks, Sarah, and thanks very much for having us both on your um, podcast. And what good timing uh, it's been with yesterday's announcement. You're right, Michael Gove uh, made an announcement yesterday, which was which followed his announcement uh, back in January, 10th of January, I think it was, which set out uh, a number of statements of intent, I suppose, uh, to bring developers to task that have um, contributed or, or designed and procured buildings that have combustible cladding in their external wall system. And uh, since that, that initial announcement, he's been meeting with developers. Uh, there have been roundtable discussions um, because what plan A was for him was to uh, encourage those developers to contribute both financially and in terms of carrying out and completing remedial works to their buildings. And what he alluded to in the first announcement was what might happen if developers didn't, I think he used the words, do the right thing. And there was a letter on uh, the beginning of February, which Richard Goodman uh, wrote to developers. And he uh, he set out uh, some of the data collection that's been been carried out to date and also a bit more detail as to how the um, financial contributions and the remediation might work if, if developers were to contribute. And Michael Gove's um, announcement yesterday, what's caught the headlines a little bit is what will happen to developers if they don't do the right thing, play ball. And, and he said that, as you said in your introduction, they can expect to feel the force of government rule in terms of planning permissions being blocked and building control approvals being blocked, which will really stymie their ability to make money from buildings. There have been another other announcements, uh, another other consequences for not contributing as well. There's a sort of an enhancement of the building safety levy, uh, which was announced before, but there's a prospect of an increased rate if they don't contribute to the process. What is, in terms of brief reaction, what is still very obvious is that the government's sites are firmly set on developers, which is understandable from one respect. They are the people that own the buildings or designed and procured them in the first place or or arranged for them to be designed and procured in the first place. And so why shouldn't they have some responsibility? But I think that it is oversimplifying the problem because as we've seen from the Grenfell inquiry, there was not one part of the industry which was to blame for the situation that we're in now. Um, And it really needs, in my view, a collaboration between developers, designers, engineers, manufacturers, 
and really there's no obvious reason why they shouldn't all be brought to task in the same way that developers are so uh, maybe that's going to be in the fine detail and as we might come on to that that is still missing in in many respects so I, i'm sure that leaseholders as they do in the first announcement will be very pleased to hear the statements of intent but they'll be very interested to hear how it's going to be achieved and in particular over what kind of time scale because as, as we can go into maybe later it's not an easy problem to solve and um, just saying something like remediating a building has its own challenges. Okay so a step then in the right direction in, in terms of alleviating some of the pressure on leaseholders but obviously work to go in, in terms of the detail. How do you anticipate that developers will perhaps be reacting to the news today? I know that the reaction last time was, was very much why are you picking on just us and I, I'm sure that will be the same again now. Even those that uh, might have a moral desire to uh, contribute and help out, you know, these are large businesses with shareholders to account for. And it's not as straightforward as just saying that they will throw some money at this problem. So again, I think it's perhaps oversimplifying it to say that they will just have to contribute. But I think also developers will be asking, how are they supposed to really put these plans into action? When you have a lot of these buildings that have, whether it's combustible cladding or missing cavity barriers or ACM panels, all of the problems that are recurring again and again in these external wall systems, the extent to which you need to remediate is often quite building specific. You have to look at the building in the round to decide whether it's safe from a fire safety perspective. And so it requires you know, genuine thought and uh, professional advice and guidance as to what scope the remediation works take and that takes time and it also takes a level of competence and there's only so many of those people that are properly qualified and competent to help so developers will be saying because i know that there is a deadline for a commitment that's being given by the government and again understandable that they want to be seen to be moving things on and you can't have an open-ended arrangement but at the same time how are developers supposed to even with the best will in the world get the advice that they need quickly enough um, in a market that's already fairly saturated. And the other thing, if you go back to sort of from a business perspective, if they are being asked to contribute or if they're putting their hand in their pocket to remediate at their own cost, they will be looking to pass that down to other members of the construction industry, typically the main contractor that they employed to build and often design and build the building uh, and the designers and the engineers and the building control officer that signed off. They will be looking to those parties for some contribution as well. Now that is a complicated process in itself, as any lawyer would know. And and so it may well be that they're reluctant to commit until they can have some sort of certainty that they're going to get a contribution from those parties. So uh, I, I imagine developers will be will be finding it very difficult to know quite what to do with this latest announcement, even if they are very happy to to contribute. It, it has some logistical problems. And what, what is um, the sort of timeframes? I mean, what can we expect going forward in terms of more detail? I know that consultation is ongoing, but when, when do you expect there to be a little bit more clarity in terms of what's going to come out of all of this? Well, it's at um, a committee stage now. These are all measures that are expected to come into force through the building safety um, bill, the building safety legislation, which hasn't yet got royal assent. That's being uh, forecast for I think it was between April and June this year. 
uh, and, and many of these measures won't come into force for 12 months after that. So they are very much statements of intent, as I said, and the government will be very much hoping that they can encourage developers to participate rather than force them to, because it's going to be a long time, it seems, before they can legally force them to participate in this process, okay. uh, which again will be something that, that leaseholders will find frustrating. So in the interim, then, I guess there are a number of, of questions and, and issues that developers are having to grapple with, shortage of, of qualified contractors that you've just referenced and, and so on. Just in terms then of a practical approach for developers over the coming 18 months or so and until there is more clarity and, and um, are coming into force of the new legislation, I mean, what's what's the general sort of guidance that, that can be given to developers in terms of progressing with some of the remediation work? Well, developers um, and, and what we've been advising our clients um, who, have, who own these buildings is to get professional advice. Um, as soon as possible, both from a technical perspective, by which I mean building surveyor, an architect, a fire engineer, all of the above, really, to assess properly the state of the building. They also need to get as far as they can the what are called as-built drawings for when the building was completed to try to determine what is actually on the building. But a lot of those as-built drawings we found are either not available or not very accurate. So it may well be that to really determine what's on the building, uh, you have to do some intrusive investigation work. So pulling pulling things off the building to see what's there. So the first piece of advice is to really understand what it is you're dealing with from a technical perspective. Um, the second piece of professional advice, as you'd expect from a lawyer um, plugging his profession, but I, it is important that if they are going to put right the work and they're not going to fund it entirely themselves, they need to see who they can pass that cost on to. And for many of these buildings that are, are of an age six to 12 years old, uh, the, the time limit for making a claim against those parties is running out fast. And in some cases, it might have expired. It, it is something that's being proposed in the legislation it, um, that, that might be changed. Not clear quite how that's going to help developers. It may well help leaseholders. But it is possible to stop the time running on that period. It's called the limitation period. And by agreement or by um, uh, issuing proceedings, the, the developers can protect their position whilst the real works are going on so that when the costs have been incurred, they still have an, a, an, an exit route or they have a, a route to recovering their money. So there are some practical things that they can be doing and definitely should be doing, and uh, it will it will help them, but it, it is certainly um, a long game. Nothing is happening very quickly. Ryan, perhaps I can bring you in here. I know that you look at things from a property litigation perspective um, and you've been involved in advising a number of leaseholders of affected buildings. Tell me a little bit about the issues that you've been advising on over the last couple of years. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you again for, for having me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously a, a very stressful topic for most leaseholders, but but most of all in relation to service charges, because ultimately uh, the covenants under the lease are require that leaseholders will have to pay for the cost of remediation. That's usually the starting point. There's obviously some careful analysis which needs to take place in terms of the of those um, service charge mechanisms. But the, the financial consequences of this are, are the, the primary concern for most leaseholders and making sure that they've evaluated how they may be able to recover those costs or mitigate them or so on 
through access to the building safety fund or alternatively through claims against third parties uh, or indeed challenging the service charges if they have the right to do so. So it is the financial stress which tends to be at the forefront of their minds and, and that's what we've been advising them upon. So quite frequently we're asked to look at the service charge covenants to assess the landlord's right to recover the remediation costs and then uh, feeding into that the the right to to recover the, the costs that they incur th- from third parties or from the building safety fund. And from a leaseholder perspective then, to what extent are yesterday's announcements welcome? I, I would say welcome. I think I'll, I'll probably echo some of the comments that um, Andrew has made. I, I would say cautious optimism or perhaps cautious relief. Um, if nothing else, the, 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 the indication that the government has has realised that this is a matter that requires um, governmental intervention and the at least the expression of willingness to to open the the legislative toolbox to to address the problem. I think that's all very welcome. However, you know there is still a lot of uncertainty, as Andrew said, both in terms of how this is ultimately going to be implemented, but then also how long it's going to take. And in the meantime. Most leaseholders are are facing demands for costs. We're already several years into this crisis, so many buildings have already um, undertaken investigation and works and and so on. And then I think there's probably an overriding sense that maybe all of these steps ultimately are mitigating the suffering of leaseholders, but not as a principle reflecting the fact that most people feel as a concept of fairness that they shouldn't be contributing at all to the cost of defects that really weren't their responsibility when they, you know, purchase properties in good faith and so on. So mixed, mixed reactions. It's certainly more optimistic than perhaps you, it was a year ago, um, but there's still a lot, a lot of concerns, I think. You mentioned the government's remediation fund um, and working with leaseholders in terms of being able to access that. What's your experience been of that on a sort of practical level? We have assisted a number of uh, leaseholder groups in making the application and many of those have seen progress, whether that's uh, an indication that they would receive funding has been accepted or and some indeed have received payments. Equally, I think the the concern for many leaseholders who are going through that process is, again, the, the amount of time it can take. It's pretty slow going and obviously these are immediate concerns for most people who are facing the bills in the meantime. There is also the problem that the building safety fund only covers certain remediation costs. So, you know, primarily, the, the let's say the cladding aspects, but there are much wider issues that arise in the cladding crisis, um, which won't be covered. And then there's also a, a practical feeling that maybe the for example, the agreements which are required in order to enter into the funding arrangements are perhaps onerous and difficult to arrange. So it has helped. I'm, I'm certain of that. But but also there are some drawbacks and perhaps it hasn't been as helpful as people had hoped when it was announced there would be you know, this huge funding. And just thinking more broadly in terms of advice that you have for leaseholders who are perhaps coming to you or or perhaps wondering where to start in in exploring this issue, what are the first practical steps for them? First of all, I would I'd say it's important to be proactive, which is easily said, but um, you know it can be overwhelming. 
we all know that there's a lot of complexity about these issues and in large blocks often leaseholders as individuals you know they're one small part of a large group where there's divergent interests so it's easy to be sort of intimidated by that situation and to let things drift but it is important time is critical um, and there is a lot of of help out there there's certainly a lot of attention in relation to you know sort of media attention and so on and there are groups and communities on social media and so on who are who will be able to assist um so i'd say the first thing is is to be proactive there are some timing issues to to consider andrew had mentioned earlier there's obviously limitation if leaseholders were looking to to recover the remediation costs from third parties then limitation could be relevant so it's important to assess that as quickly as possible there's also there were time limits in relation to the building safety fund. Those have passed. However, there, there was an indication when they passed from the government that they were really to incentivize the industry to make those applications. And there are they are still considering some applications on a, a case by case basis. So it's important not to to assume that, you know, the ship has sailed. There's there's always the, the opportunity to look at that. And then in terms of the, the sort of active steps to take, I think it's it's often overlooked and it's very important. Um, to try and to group together under some kind of formal arrangement, if possible, between the, the sort of coalition of the willing of the leaseholders in the building who, who want to engage. So that that usually takes the form of a, of a participation agreement which governs how you make decisions together. And the reason why that's important is because there will be divergent interests naturally in such a large building and everyone has their own aims for, for what you want to achieve. So some will try to want to limit the remediation costs. Others will just want to make sure everything is done and this will never be a problem again. Um, and when you have conflict amongst groups of leaseholders, it can it can effectively bring to a halt any efforts to actually actively engage. And once that's arranged, then I think it really is important, as Andrew was saying, for developers um, to take advice as soon as possible, whether that's in terms of experts assessing the works and, and what needs to take place and the cost. Also, legal advice in terms of assessing the covenants under the lease, the service charge mechanisms and potential third party claims. And then finally, I, I would probably say to not be afraid to sort of engage with the landlord, whoever that is, or the management company or so on. In my experience is that most landlords have been very active, have been quite proactive themselves in dealing with these issues and, and sort of recognising the writing on the wall that this is a, something that needs to be dealt with. So there can be a lot of participation in that arrangement. And I think most landlords are prepared to listen to their leaseholders in terms of defining the scope of works and how the cost and so on. So it's quite important to, to get engaged in that process and that dialogue with the landlord. Perhaps finally, just just some thoughts on perhaps milestones that people ought to be watching out for next. I, I think probably that many of the milestones, at least in terms of strict dates, have passed. Um, certainly in relation to the the building safety fund and and so on. And every every building will have its own circumstances which need to be assessed as quickly as possible. The most obvious one is limitation. There is this proposal that limitation will be extended, which will be helpful for leaseholders. But that date needs to be evaluated as quickly as possible, because certainly at the moment in law, it's six years. And from from the date of, of say, practical completion, if, if the clock is ticking, it can make a huge difference to your prospects if you need to if you need to pursue a claim. So that's important. That's probably the first. And then going forward, uh, I would say in terms of milestones, 
I, I think at the moment we're we're obviously waiting to see exactly how this is how the changes are going to be implemented to building safety under the uh, the building safety bill that could have quite a dramatic impact on the steps that uh, leaseholders would need to take and I, I would say it's just important at the outset to take that advice in order to assess for your particular building the the kind of relevant dates that need to be taken in mind. All right well thank you both so much for your thoughts today. Um, it, it was a really interesting update and, and nice to have that um, just off the back of yesterday's announcements. So thank you both very much for your time. I, I know it's been quite a quick turnaround in terms of being able to reflect on the new changes. Thank you very much. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Sarah Jackman in conversation with Andrew Parker and Ryan Didcock of Forsters. For more on cladding, see the EGI archive at egi.co.uk.